Well, I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. It's in the last fourth of the Bible. Luke chapter 2, verses 25 through 35. We're in a series called Songs of Advent, as you can see on the screen. And uh, today we come to studying a man named Simeon. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, by the way, we have black ones in the seat rack in front of you. You can pull one of those out. I believe it's on page 716, and you can turn to that. But Luke chapter 2, we're going to look at Simeon's song. Now, as you're listening to this being read and following along, I want you to, to, to picture the person that was talking, the person that's praising God. Uh, most scholars believe that he was one of those followers of God that was now later in his life. And so when I think about people in our church family that are now later in their life, I think of Harry and Maxine Paul, who really want to follow the Lord each day. And so I've asked Harry uh, to read this passage and listen to Simeon's song as we study it. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. This is the word of the Lord. So as you just heard Harry read, this guy Simeon was waiting for the consolation of Israel. He was waiting for the Messiah. And the Holy Spirit had shown him that he would not die before he was able to see the Messiah with his own eyes. It was incredible privilege. And so today we're going to talk about waiting. Are you very good at waiting? I first realized how challenging waiting is for me when uh, being a pastor's kid, we used to have a lot of potlucks in our church. You know what potlucks are? Everybody brings a dish, stuff like that. Well, in the churches that I grew up in, there was a lot of them. And my favorite thing about potlucks was that people would bring fried chicken. I mean, remember those days before low-carb, low-fat? Remember that? So as a kid, I just remember thinking, oh, man, can't wait. Only problem was is my parents had a different philosophy. They said, you know, as a pastor's family, we're going to go last. Now... I didn't like that because it separated me from my buddies whose parents evidently didn't have the same approach. <laughs> so that my buddies would all be up there at the front of the line, and I just did the math. I knew there was only so many pieces of fried chicken. <laughs> you know, you've done this. You know what I'm talking about. 
So I remember thinking to myself, I don't understand. And um, my parents would explain to me, and they kept explaining to me that, hey, this is an opportunity to learn how to let other people go first like Jesus did. And at first, you know, I squirmed with the whole idea, but the longer I got going, I can tell you today that I don't worry as much about fried chicken anymore. <laughs> and I'm able to go last. And it doesn't even bother me as bad. I'm able to wait better. And a lot of it has to do is because of some things that I've come to understand about that. But here's the deal. The truth is, is it's one thing to wait for fried chicken. Some of you are waiting for some things way worse than that. You know, Steve included in his prayer, but the persecuted church, the New Testament, says that those that are going through these trials are going to cry out, how long, O oh Lord? I mean, when are you, you going to do something? How long, O oh Lord? Some of you know exactly that. You, you found yourself saying, how long, O oh Lord? Do I have to wait on this diagnosis, or do I have to deal with this illness, or do I have to be sideways with this person, or do I have to have a wayward child? How long, O oh Lord, till I get a job? How long, O oh Lord, till we get out of debt? How long? There's just tons of things. And I can tell you, even this week, just talking with people, oh my goodness, are some of you in waiting periods? So what do we do? How do we wait well? Well, Simeon had to wait, and he teaches us some things about waiting that I think can be beneficial to you and really helpful to me this week. And I want to share those, but before I do, what I want to do is just, again, this series is called Songs of Advent, and today we're studying Simeon's song. But the first thing in the notes there, if you're following along, is I just want to set the stage for where we are. Anybody ever gone to a mall that you've never been to before? What's the first thing you usually do? Now, maybe some of you are adventurous and you just start wandering around. But I try and find, you know what I'm talking about? The sign that says, you are here. Once I know where I am, then I can figure out where I'm going, but I get, you know. So I want to kind of just set the stage, and here's the first part. This Christmas, we live between Jesus' two arrivals. We live, right now, in history, we live between Jesus' two arrivals, or advents. That's what the word advent means, arrival, arriving, coming, appearing. And so we live between those two arrivals of who? Jesus. And just to give you an idea, I need to set the stage, so if you can be patient, turn your notes over, and I want to just kind of talk to you a little bit about living between the trees. Now, for those of you that are listening on CD or, or online, you can't see what everyone else sees that we're standing here, but on our stage, we have trees, Christmas trees, decorated on both sides of the stage, both ends. And so, as I thought about how I can explain this, I decided to use Christmas trees, but I want to clarify for those of you that are literalists. The trees that I'm going to talk about weren't probably evergreens because they bore fruit. They were probably a different kind of a fruit tree or something like that. So cut me some slack. But here's the thing. During this Christmas season, what I want you to remember every time you see a tree is that we live between the trees. Okay? So the first tree, I don't know if you know this, but when God created the world, Genesis 1 and 2, it says that he created human beings, he created heavens and the earth. He created animals, the waters, nature, creation. Unbelievable. 
And then in the middle of all that, it says that he created a garden. He made a garden, and he placed Adam and Eve with the animals there, and he had all these trees. At the center of that garden, there were two trees, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he told them, look, just enjoy living in this. And it was perfect fellowship with God. The Bible says that Adam and Eve walked with God in the cool of the day. How's that? Wow, this is perfect fellowship. And everything was perfectly ordered. It was amazing. But God said, you are free to eat from any of the trees in the garden here, but do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for on the day you eat of it, you shall surely what, friends? Die. Something's going to happen. Don't do it. So Adam and Eve, not only because they chose to, but also the serpent temptation, they ate from the fruit of that first tree, and that's what's often called the fall. If you're looking there on your left. You can read about this in Genesis 2 and 3 in case you think I'm making this up. But if you look at this, you'll see this whole theme of this tree. And when they ate from the fruit of the tree that they were told not to, it created chaos. Their relationship with God immediately changed. They hid from God. They were afraid of God. They did not walk with him in the cool of the day, and God came looking for him. Where are you? What have you done? They turned on each other. In the days ahead, their sons would kill each other. Uh, chaos entered the world. And friends, again, one of the explanations for all that's going on in this world right now is the fall. That when sin entered the world, so did death. And again, some of us know, like, firsthand, this world is not the way it was supposed to be. And then there's another tree. If you go to the last page of the Bible in Revelation 22, do you know it ends with this idea of a tree? It says that God is going to restore all things one day. That when he banished them from the garden, by the way, chapter 3, a couple things to notice. People think, why did he banish him? Because he's just an angry parent. No. The Bible says, is, they said, if they eat from the tree of life, they will live forever in this state. And I don't want them to live forever in a broken relationship with me, in a broken relationship with each other in a broken world. Therefore, he banished them from the garden and protected them from staying like that forever. And in that prophecy in, in Genesis 3, he says, Eve, from your seed, I will raise up one who will crush the serpent's head. The serpent may bruise his heel, but he will crush the serpent's head. It was a prediction of a Messiah that would come one day to restore all things. So we see at the end of time, Genesis 22, it says that there's going to be a tree, that God is going to destroy this present earth with fire, and he is going to make a new heaven and a new earth. And in the middle of that, he's going to create a city. And in that city is going to be a river running right through the center of it, and on both sides there's going to be the tree of life with leaves that have healing in their, wing, in, in their, in their branches and in their leaves. And oh man... There's that tree, and it's going to be the tree of life, and he's going to invite those who are his to eat from it freely and live forever in perfect relationship with God and each other. There's coming a day when all things will be restored. And so, friends, we live between the trees. The world that God created is not the way it was supposed to be. And friend, I want to say something to you. 
It, it drives me crazy sometimes when I hear people go, well, it must have been God's will. Friends, there's a whole bunch of stuff going on in this world right now that is not God's will. There's things I do, things you do, things other people do that are never his desire. He never wanted death to come in the world. He never wanted sin to reign in this world. But it does because of these choices. And we ourselves are also part of that. So we live between the trees. But so what else? Not only that, but the Bible says, way back to that prophecy in Genesis 3, that he was going to send a Messiah. So if you're looking at the second picture, notice that Jesus' first arrival is that fulfillment. He came. He came to earth in order to save us and set us free from our sins and begin the restoring process of the world that's going to happen again later. And between that, he's going to come a second time. And when he comes a second time, game over. No mulligans, no do-overs, no reincarnation, no bad karma stuff. It's going to be over. And when that happens, friends, we're going to stand before Jesus and give an account of our lives. And then he is going to restore all things. And those that have trusted him will be with him forever in the holy city. And those that have not will be separated from him forever. This is living between the trees. And so therefore, what God is doing in the world, this is huge. This is super important. And Simeon, if you see that first box, Simeon had waited right before that box and was now celebrating that first box between the trees there in your notes. And we live between the first arrival and the second arrival. And the Bible says is that Jesus is coming back. The question is, are you waiting for him? Are you waiting for Jesus? Simeon was waiting for Jesus. When Jesus comes back, is he going to find you and I waiting for him? Look at Hebrews 9, 27, 28, if you would, here on the screen. And just as each person is destined to die, how many times, friends? Once. And after that comes what? Judgment. So also Christ died for once for all, for all time, as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people. He will come again. Not to deal with our sins, but to bring salvation to all who are, let's read this together, eagerly waiting for him. And so we see this. We live between the trees and the two advents. That's where we are. If you're in the mall, you and I are here. And once we understand that, it can help us wait better. We can start to see differently, even when it's hard. And I'm praying this Christmas season that if you're in a waiting period, that you'll be able to wait better. And that if you're not, you'll be able to still prepare for Jesus' coming well. So if you turn your notes back over, I'm going to come back to that third line in the back later. But here's the thing. Jesus' arrival, and notice I put arrivals, call for a response, what will mine be? You may say, well, you know, that's nice. That's something that probably is very interesting in church. But no, the Bible says is that God is doing this, and this affects everybody. We're going to see how much that is true in Simeon's song today. So here's what I want to do. I want to unpack Simeon's song and show you what did he learn while he was waiting. And second, how can we wait well in our situation? So let's pray. Now, Lord, I thank you for Simeon. I thank you for people like Harry and Maxine that remind us of people like Simeon. God, we're all just ordinary people behind the scenes trying to learn how to follow you. And I would just pray 
you'd use this time as we gather together that we might encourage one another and all the more as we see the day drawing near. In your name we pray, amen. All right, if you're looking there at Simeon's song, I told you in the last few weeks that one of the things that we try to do, all of us that are pastors, is we try and soak in the scripture to read it over and over again and just say, God, help me just see with fresh eyes, what are you saying? Because it's so easy to just skim through life, isn't it? But as I was looking over these verses, at first, I just did, not a lot came to me, but as I was looking at it, I want to show you some of the words that rose to the top. So would you read with me Luke 2, 29 and 30? This is Simeon's song, how it starts, because the Bible says he took Jesus in his arms and he begins praising God, singing. I like how Chuck got us thinking about shouting and joy, because I can picture Simeon going, Wow! I pictured you saying it with feeling, okay? So let's read it together. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation. And then notice again, I'll go on a little further, what it says right after that. Which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him, then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, let me stop. Why didn't he say something to Jesus' father? Because what he's about to say is a very difficult word to Mary. And most scholars believe what this indicates is that somewhere between the time Jesus was 12, when he, remember they lost him in the temple there and they had to go back and find him, all the way till he was 30, somewhere between that and when he started his ministry, his earthly dad died. And therefore, when he was dying on the cross and going through all of this antagonism, his mom's heart was going to be pierced through, but his dad wasn't going to be around to go through that. And so that's some of what is believed here. So notice what he says to them. Let's read it together in that second gray box. This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And a sword will pierce your own soul too. Now here's what I want us to see as we look at this. What's the very first word of his song? Do you see that in the gray box? You may want to underline it. What's he say? Sovereign Lord. And the first thing, if you're following along in Simeon's song, here's one of the things he was learning while he waited. The Lord is sovereign over all the earth, if you're following along. The Lord is sovereign over all the earth. What's that mean? Does that mean that he does everything? No. What it does mean is that when someone's sovereign, they rule and control and ultimately work things together so that the purpose that they're working towards comes about. That means that there are things that are going on that God did not send, that God did not do, but that God is able to work with and work in such a way that ultimately he will accomplish his purpose. He will eventually restore all things. Nothing will be able to stop that. So he's sovereign over all. And I love Aaron Keyes. When Aaron Keyes, the worship pastor, was here a couple months ago, one of the songs he helped us sing, you are sovereign over us. Oh man, just an incredible thing. I, could, I list out to the right some verses you can look up. By the way, it's completely legal to do this at home. And I put these there because if this message should be helpful to you, you may want to look these up. Talk about how Nebuchadnezzar had to learn this lesson, about how the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men in this world. 
But here's one of the things that I thought might help you. Years ago, I heard about Corey Tenboom. Some of you know this little lady, never married, raised in Holland. Her dad was a watchmaker. And she and her family were interested in following the Lord. And as they read the scripture, they, they decided they were going to hide Jews, Jewish people, in a hiding place in their house, even though Nazi occupation forbid it. When the Gestapo eventually found out because a neighbor had narked on them, they were brought out, arrested. I believe her dad died on the way to the concentration camp. Her sister died of starvation in the concentration camp. And except for a clerical error, she would have died in the Ravensbrück concentration camp. But a mistake was made. And when she was freed, God showed her in the years that followed that she was to go all over the world and tell people whoever would listen about the forgiveness and the sovereignty of God. Because she was in a very dark place that was hard to understand what in the world was God doing. But she had a way of taking complex things and making them simple, and so she carried with her in her suitcase wherever she went this little satin square. It was a bookmark, she called it. And she would often hold it up for people she was with, and she would hold it up, and it would be all of these knotted, twisted threads of all different colors, and she would hold it up and say, look at that. That doesn't make any sense, does it? It doesn't seem to have any meaning, does it? And then she would flip it over, and on the back would be this beautifully embroidered golden crown. And she would say to people, God is still working, even when it doesn't seem like he is. He is embroidering. He is working something in all this. And she often said this, although the threads of my life have often seemed knotted, I know by faith that on the other side of the embroidery, there is a crown. And I don't know about you, but I find myself finding so much courage when I'm waiting to remember, oh Lord, you are still sovereign. You are still at work in the middle of all this craziness. And I want to trust you and your sovereignty over me. But notice the second thing he says, not only sovereign Lord, but as you have promised. If you're following along in the notes, the Lord keeps his promises and can be trusted. The Lord keeps his promises and can be trusted. That's what Simeon was learning while he waited. That's what helped him wait. Is that he realized that, you know, just... Although some earthly parents, also some earthly authority figures or family members may make promises that they don't keep to make us cynical, God always keeps his promises. He never has once failed to keep his word. And that kind of thing can bolster you when you're wondering whether or not you can trust. And so while Simeon waited, he says, I don't know when he's going to do it. I don't know completely how he's going to do it. But he will send his Messiah. He'll do it, and he'll be right on time. And so when he saw this child, the Holy Spirit helped him understand, oh my goodness, you kept your promise. Some of us need to know this. Numbers 23, 19 says, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not fulfill it? Romans 4 says that while Abraham was waiting for God to give him a miraculous child named Isaac, it was 17 years of waiting. 
And while he waited, even though he was 100 years old by the time he had a child, the Bible says no distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. And so there's times where we have gut checks. We're going through waiting times. We've got to go, who do I believe? Do I believe God will keep his word or not? I do. I believe God will keep his word. But here's the rub. Some of us have been taught a God who is kind of a genie, who is here to give you what you want, when you want, how you want. He's all about you. And when you and I cave into that kind of false God, we're going to be heartbroken when things happen and we go, he didn't keep his promise. Oh, yes, he did. My cousin was a year older than me. Her name was Ann. I loved her. And she contracted lupus. And as she got older, it got worse and worse, and she eventually died from that disease and her immune system being worn down. And the last few years of her life were incredibly painful. I remember being with her one day in a hospital and just thinking, how long, oh Lord? I mean, oh my goodness. Her pain was palpable. For me to talk and say any kind of platitudes would have been so bad. So there in the quiet, I just said, Ann, what's helping you right now? She told me that there had been a poem she had read years before that really helped her understand the scripture even better. And here's what it is. It's called God Hath Not Promised by Annie Johnson Flint. God hath not promised, skies always blue, flowers strewn pathways all our lives through. God hath not promised, sun without rain, joy without sorrow, peace without pain. But God hath promised strength for the day, rest for the labor, light for the way, grace for the trials, help from above, unfailing kindness, undying love. God hath not promised that we shall not know toils and temptations, trouble and woe. He hath not told us that we shall not bear many a burden, many a care. But God hath promised strength for the day, rest for the labor, light for the way, grace for the trials, help from above, unfailing sympathy, undying love. Praise God. He keeps his promise, friends. How many of us can testify to that? Another thing that he noticed about Simeon's song is this, is he understood why he was here and who he was. Notice, I am a servant of the Lord, here to serve him, if you're following along in the notes. I'm a servant of the Lord, here to serve him. Notice that line. You may now dismiss your what, friends? Your servant in peace. Your servant. How do you think of yourself? Sometimes we glorify servants, but servants know I'm not the important one. My master is. It's not about me. It's about making sure what they want to do, I do it with them. I do it so it comes about. And I don't know about you, but this has been the struggle of my life, both before Christ and after, is to understand that being self-centered is ultimately a dead-end road. That being selfish and trying to get my way is ultimately boring. That really what life's about is learning to say, I am a servant of the Lord. How can I, the privilege, in light of all you've done for me, the way you humbled yourself and served me, how can I serve you the rest of my life? It's a privilege. And Simeon understood that. 
And again, we live in this lie that says, uh, don't be a servant. Get what you want. Grab for the gust of vent. Friends, Simeon could sing this song freely because he goes, I'm a servant of the Lord. What a privilege. You are awesome. And I want to serve your purposes. Third thing, fourth thing, excuse me, is that God's salvation, he says, is a person sent for all nations. God's salvation is a person sent for all nations. Do you see that? For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations. This is an incredible thing, friends. You, you and I probably can't appreciate it, that for a Jewish man to be standing in the temple saying, this isn't just about being Jewish. This is for all nations. This person will be a light for the Gentiles. What's a Gentile? Anyone who's not? That's us. That was most of the world. He was saying, what God's up to is going to touch every people group. He is not prejudiced like us. He does not think sectarian like us. He wants all people to know his Messiah and what he came to do. Wow. Simeon had this bigger picture. And friends, every time we as a church realize that we don't just exist for ourselves, but for people outside our walls that are far from God, that may not know the Lord yet, we see life better. And the last thing that he sings about in this song that is so powerful is that Jesus will reveal hearts and divide people. Jesus will reveal hearts and divide people. Wow. I thought that it was all about, it doesn't matter what you believe. It's all going to turn out fine. No, friends, not at all. Not at all. It absolutely matters who we believe in. Jesus will reveal what's really going on in our hearts, no matter what we present to other people. He knows. And he will divide people into one of two groups those waiting for him, and those who are not. And friends, this is huge. So let me ask you to turn your notes back over to the other side. I told you that we live between the trees. And here's the powerful thing. Because of what happened with the first tree, and in order for God to restore things so that we have the last tree, another tree was necessary. And it was Jesus' tree. If you've never heard this before, look at Galatians 3 with me on the screen. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. How many, when we were studying the Ten Commandments, all know that we are guilty under the law? We have all fallen short of God's standard. All of us have, by a country mile for me. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a what, friends? Tree. So that... In Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised Holy Spirit through faith, through trusting him and what he's done for us. And so the Bible says is that we live between the trees, but also we live either on the left side of this tree, the cross, or we live on the right side of this tree, the cross. That when you and I realize that we are separated from God because of our own disobedience, because of our own rebellion, forget anybody else, that we stand, someday when we stand before Christ, we are going to be totally unprepared. 
Friends, I don't know. I, every once in a while I talk to people and they think that when they stand before God, they're going to bargain with him. Can I just I'm, say this as humbly as I can? Give it up. Give that up. Here's your only chance to ever be made right with God. Right here. The shed blood of Jesus Christ is the only sacrifice acceptable to God. And therefore, he causes the falling and rising of many. He's looking for people to come and kneel before his cross and say, I am who you say I am. I have done what you said I've done. You have exposed my heart. I acknowledge that I am a sinner before you and that I need a Savior. And I need what you've done for me. Please. And he causes those people who humble themselves like that to rise and begin to live between the cross and all things being restored. And they wait differently. They're looking for something different. And that's what he came to do this Christmas. That's why Jesus came. And that's why he's coming back. And the way we live between the trees is the ball game, friends. Don't let anybody tell you differently. This isn't my opinion. So what do we do? How do we wait well? How do we understand this? I'd like to suggest four things in light of what we just saw. If you turn your notes back over. First, trust Jesus today. Ask him to save you. You may say, why, why trust Jesus today? Man, I got so many plans. I got so many things that I don't want to miss. I got so many fried chicken events in my life. Come on. All I want to say to you is this. You don't know how long you have. And the day is drawing closer every day we live. How do you want to spend it? The Bible says the wisest thing you and I can do is when we understand it, we need to humble ourselves and trust Jesus and not ourselves or our own way of managing life. And we need to trust him today and ask him to save us. How do I do that, you may ask. You can do it right there where you're sitting. In your heart, you can say, Lord, you're talking to me. You're showing me exactly where I am between the trees and I know it's true about me. I know I need Christ. And I ask you, by your grace, not because of my own righteousness, save me. Save me for myself. Come in, bring your Holy Spirit in my life so I can have a different spirit and a different approach to life. I know it'll be a learning process after that, but show me, get me started. Save me. And again, back at Palm Sunday, we actually looked at this verse, Acts 22. I love this. And now, what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on his name. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Friends, he can do that today. And let me say something. That may be the best gift you could give your family this Christmas. Some of you, you have loved ones that are praying for you, that you'll finally humble yourself before Christ and his cross, and you'll be saved. Some of you, you might be the first one in your family, and you may have tough roads ahead, but friends, don't wait between the trees without turning to Jesus Christ. I plead with you. You'll never regret it. But what if those of us that have already done that, not only do we need to keep trusting him today, but here's the second one. Let his Holy Spirit lead you. Let his Holy Spirit lead you. Did you notice in those verses there, 25, 26, 27, that three times it talks about the Holy Spirit and how key he was in Simeon's life. The Holy Spirit was on him, the Holy Spirit had revealed something to him, and the Holy Spirit moved him in the temple. The Holy Spirit was very influential in his life. And this is a constant learning process, but you know what? Here's how you can do it. Now, if you're a Christian, each morning you can wake up and say, Holy Spirit, I don't know you very well, 
but I've been told you're just like Jesus. You came in to live in my life. Holy Spirit, lead me today. Across the ticker of my mind, bring thoughts, remind me of things I may not know or understand that Jesus has said, but lead my life. And when that begins to happen, friends, it's powerful. Now, I know there's abuses. I know some people go, ooh, this is getting super weird. Let me tell you, this is the Christian life. But it's often abused, so just know we've taught on this before. If you go to 2008 in the archives, the first six weeks we taught on the Holy Spirit, Steve and I did. Last year, Steve taught two messages in John's Gospel, if you want to go there. And in Galatians, I taught free to live, where it talks about being led by the Spirit instead of our own flesh. And you and I can learn these things. This week, a lady uh, in our church was praying, and she's got some little ones running around in her house, so it's not like she's lazing around. But as she was praying and just asking the Lord, you know, show me, gone through some challenging things. As she was reading the scripture, praying during the day, God just across the tick of her mind kept bringing this thought, I want you to go see so-and-so who lived about two or three blocks away, and I want you to go knock on their door, and I want you to ask them if you can give them a hug. And she's thinking, excuse me? I mean, this is kind of, she's, did I eat something last night? I mean, what, where is this coming from? But she knew as she checked it with the scripture, that's not against what the Lord would have me do. That's completely consistent with God's caring. So she thought, okay. So she kept putting off. Finally, she thought, I got to do this. So she got in the car and all the way over, she was going, Lord, please don't let them be home. Please don't let them be home. <laughs> she knocked on the door and no one answered. She goes, okay. Then she heard footsteps. And after a little bit of delay, the person opened the door, the exact person she knew she was supposed to go see. And just said, I, I don't know exactly why I'm here, but I just sensed I was supposed to come over and say, see you. She said, come on in. They talked for about a half hour. They prayed. She hugged her. At the end, she said, I'm so glad you came today. I really needed someone to hug me. That lady walked away going, when I'm waiting for Christ to return, I can be led by the Holy Spirit. Praise the Lord. And that can happen. Just imagine in our church if that happened more and more. The third thing is, what do we do while we're waiting? We can do good. We can do good. Not to be saved, but in thankfulness because he has saved us. I'm not talking about do all this good and then say, hey, can I get a picture with you, get a photo op? I'm not talking about that, friends. I'm talking about the tiniest little things you and I can do good. Titus, look at Titus 2 here on the screen, if you would. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. Who's the grace of God? Jesus Christ. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age between the trees while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for... i got to stop gave himself for us. He didn't have to do that. To redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own. Read this last phrase with me. Eager to do what is good. You know what Hebrews 10 says while we wait? Let us consider how we may spur one another on to good works. How we may love one another and not neglect meeting together like we're doing right now. And let us encourage one another, and all the more as we see the day drawing closer. All the more. So how can we, like, help each other? This last week, you already heard Steve's in the prayer. 
Contact ministries. Some of you are going to go and you're going to help just in small ways do good for those people that are going through times of difficulty and shortage this winter. And God can do that. He can use that. Sometimes it may just be making a phone call, giving a gift anonymously. It may mean saying something, writing a note. Who knows? It could be a text. It could be an email. But you and I can do good. There was a person in our church who when they were shopping in the grocery store the other day, they just realized, what a privilege that I'm standing in a grocery store and I'm going to be able to pay for my groceries. Happens all the time. And they were convicted about the fact that while they were doing that, they could buy gift cards just like they, so that they could give that to someone else so they could buy groceries. So they gave it to one of the pastors who gave it to Ena's school. And I pray that this Christmas there will be someone that knows that there's someone waiting for Jesus and they're doing good while they wait. And friends, I don't know about you, but sometimes I get caught up in all kinds of crazy spending of my time. And God has to like go, okay, who can I think of? Who else can I do instead of just acting bored? How can I do good? The last one is this. Tell others of Jesus. Point them to his cross. Tell others of Jesus and point them to his cross. I, don't, I won't take time to read it, but if you ever want to read 2 Peter 3, you can always write that down. Here's what it says. Do you know why Jesus hasn't come back yet? It's not because he forgot. The Bible says is that he is being patient with us because he is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance and a knowledge of salvation. He wants us to know his one and only son, Jesus. But the Bible says, how will they hear unless someone tells them? And you and I are the means, a lot of times, of how people find. Simeon pointed people to Jesus. He goes, here's God's salvation. And you and I can do that too. Three years ago, a couple walked into this church. Their life was in trouble. And they came here, and while they were worshiping God during that time, God showed them that they needed to come to the foot of the cross and they needed to acknowledge that they were who God said they were and they had done what God said they had done. And they repented, they humbled themselves and God caused them from falling to rising and they began to walk on the right side of the cross. And in the last three years, just as humbly as they can be, they say, you, need to know, you know how messed up my life was? Jesus can do something for you too, not just for me. And we've had more people come to our church as a result of their humble invitation all because they understand that one of the best ways you and I can prepare for Jesus coming back is to invite other people to know him. At home, I have a little bookmark with 15 to 20 names that I've had for five to 10 years now, people that I'm praying might come to know Christ. Before we put the carpet on this floor, we wrote the names of people that we hope will someday come to know Jesus before he comes back, and it's too late. And friends, that's what we exist for as a church. So here's the last question. What song will I sing? Lord, what must I do so I wait well for you and with you? Lord, what must I do this Christmas season so I wait well for you? Look at Revelation 22, would you? This is what the early church, this is the last chapter of the book, the Bible. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming soon. That's what Jesus says. Amen. And then read these last three words with me because this is what the church often prayed. Come, Lord Jesus. This last week, I've just tried to say, come, Lord Jesus. 
Come, Lord Jesus. Please come soon, Lord Jesus. But in the meantime, show me how to wait. Show me how to trust you. Show me how to be led by your Holy Spirit instead of my flesh. Show me how to do good instead of just do stuff for myself. Show me how to tell other people about Christ if you'll let me. Show me. Wow. You want to wait well this Christmas? I do. So we're going to sing this song about waiting for him. I don't know about you, but I, I, needed, I needed to hear that Jesus is coming back. I got my bell rung this week, just some different things he showed me in my heart. And so I was just really thankful that we get to think about this together. So I want to just pray because I know the challenges of waiting, sometimes staying faithful in the waiting. Let's just pray, okay? Now, God, I've been asking you, and I know you already intended to do it, but I just pray you'll help every one of us know exactly where we are in our hearts with you, living between the trees and the advent. I pray that we'll all come to the tree that's most important, what you've done, Jesus and we'll live on the right side of the cross this Christmas. I pray for all those on the left side of the cross, God, help them to know that you love them and care about them and want to bring them into a different life with you. Show us to be people that walk humbly with you now. And you're, we'll adjust whatever you ask us to adjust. We'll do whatever you ask us to do. Bless your name. Amen. God bless you.